Hi there everyone, welcome to Women's Month. It's really great just being in the month of August now, isn't it? Psychologically, I think for some of us who've been experiencing this cold weather, we're really glad. You kind of feel like, you know, August is going to be a bit warmer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this series. We thank you for what we are learning. And we really ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and guide us into all truth. Help me, Lord God, as I communicate from your word. And I ask, Lord, that we would learn, we would be so passionate about going deeper into your word. We open our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at one of a kind and in particular, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. So this, is, this message is about Mary Magdalene. It's not about Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's not about Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. It's not about Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas. It's not about Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. It's about Mary Magdalene. And all these other Marys were wonderful people, but we're going to focus on Mary Magdalene today. And I'm really trusting that uh, many of you will be able to identify with her and be inspired by how she lived her life. Now, it's important that I emphasize that we're not talking about the other Marys because that, uh, that name Mary was the most popular name of the time, all right, of Jesus' uh, Jesus's time. And in fact, one in four women were called Mary. Mary is a powerful name. It actually means uh, bitter or strong, all right? It can also mean rebellious, all right? So the name meaning isn't always that great, but uh, when you name yourself after some of these Marys in scripture, you see the power of it, okay? It, it's derived from a Hebrew name, Miriam, okay? Mara, bitter, okay? Some of you remember that from the Old Testament. So a lot of women had this name, and this is actually what causes a lot of confusion with regards to Mary Magdalene, because sometimes what people do is they conflate the different accounts of various Marys, and then they lump them all into one category. And we'll talk about that a bit because it's actually affected Mary Magdalene's uh, brand uh, quite a bit. Okay, so there were a number of Marys in scripture, right? And it was such a popular name. And I also want to just say this, that Mary Magdalene, her brand was affected partly because a lot of people would take unnamed women in scripture, especially women who came from a background of uh, immorality, and they would then say, oh, that was Mary Magdalene, okay? And we'll also touch on that a little bit, all right? Um, <clears throat> so these things did affect her brand, and I want to go into detail with regards to this. So there's a section of this message that I'm going to cover with you where I'll actually be talking about redefining Mary Magdalene, okay? Uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So there were a number of women who had been delivered, okay? A number, plural, right? Um, then it says, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. 
Okay, she was one of them. Now, when it says seven demons there, it could be literally seven demons or it could be seven as that number of completion. Okay, so she was completely delivered. Okay, and she was she had been severely demonized. All right, so when it says seven, it's like a complete number of demons, lots of demons. So it could mean that or it could literally mean seven where someone was actually counting. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, ooh, seven demons, right? Um, and I want to highlight something here too, that just because someone has demons cast out of them, it doesn't mean they had been living an immoral life. It's important to understand this, okay? She might have had certain sicknesses that were demonically instigated. She might have uh, suffered from some form of insanity, okay? Um, she might have been afflicted mentally, right, in terms of her mental health by these particular demons. There might have been interesting manifestations which the disciples would have witnessed, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on, all right? But the fact is that she was delivered. And when you come from such a background, you're not popular in the time. Sometimes people could be afraid of you. So we don't know what her life had looked like because of these demons, but it wasn't something positive because the fruit of the demonic is never something positive, all right? And then it goes on to say, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Now just think through that. The manager of Herod's household, okay? His wife was one of the women who had been delivered by Jesus and was moving around with Jesus, okay? And then uh, Susanna and many others. So there were many women who would follow Jesus. These women were helping to support them out of their own means, so these were women of substance, and it's important for me to emphasize this because very often today, when people talk about being a kingdom financier, they tend to associate it with men. A lot of groups in churches full of kingdom financiers, it happens to be men. And somehow the women end up thinking, you know what, I'm just called to pray or I'm just called to serve in hospitality. And very subtly, we have certain areas of the church where women gravitate towards and where men gravitate towards. I want to encourage you. It was actually women who financed, okay, Jesus's missions. It specifically talks about the women. It doesn't mention men actually in terms of, in terms of this. And I want to encourage you, uh, those of you who are women, maybe you're entrepreneurs out there uh, and you feel called uh, to give and you believe that you've got the grace of giving and it's something you want to do, step up and do it. Because these women, they had experienced deliverance and in that place of gratitude, they were like, you know what? We will help to support Jesus out of our own means. And I think that's so powerful. And it's so interesting because uh, they saw Jesus as their rabbi. And this was unheard of in those, in those days for a woman to actually have her own rabbi and to, um, to, to be following someone like, like Jesus. All right. Um, so Jesus was actually setting the tone of what he wanted the church to actually look like. All right. Women were given an equal place and they were given that sense of dignity. So I, I'm wanting to emphasize this, that this was not normal. All right. Jesus was coming through with a different culture here. All right. And so they did this. They supported Jesus out, out of their own means. Now, these verses need to actually encourage you. 
They need to encourage us and they need to define a church culture that we need to have. And I find it interesting because Mary Magdalene was definitely a team player, right? As she's uh, mentioned amongst these other women a number of times in scripture, all right? She was not a lone ranger. It's important to actually understand that. Now, her name Magdalene, when we say Mary Magdalene, it's because of where she was from. She was from a town called Magdala, right? Which is about three miles away from Capernaum. It was on the shore of Galilee. It was uh, a thriving town. It was very populous during that time. There used to be a lot of fish processed there. And then it also had um, added to its wealth. Uh, they, they, they were into dyeing. They were into textiles, all right? There were textile factories there. And so the wealth she ended up having was probably an outcome of where she actually came from, okay? Uh, and I wanted to just emphasize that she was uh, described as a woman of substance and was probably linked to the fact that she maybe had some business she had come from or a family business from uh, Magdala. Magdala, by the way, means a tower or a castle. Now, <clears throat> Because there were so many Marys, you had to actually then put some kind of suffix to it, right? And say, oh, Mary from Magdala, right? Mary from Bethany, right? So Mary's, um, Mary, the sister of Martha, you would say, that's the Mary from Bethany, right? Um, Mary Magdalene is mentioned 14 times in the gospel. And in eight of the 14, she's named in connection with other women. She was not a lone ranger. But interestingly, those times when she's mentioned with those other women, all right, those eight times I'm talking about, she heads up the list. And I think that's quite interesting. She was obviously a leader in that environment, right? Um, five times she's mentioned where she is alone, and that's in connection with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we'll go into that. And in one instance, her name comes after the mother and the aunt of Jesus, okay? So it's believed that Salome, who's mentioned around the time of the cross, uh, that she was uh, Jesus's aunt, all right? Uh, and so after experiencing this deliverance from demons, she ends up following Jesus and becomes part of his mission team, which I think is phenomenal because a lot of people experience deliverance, but then they forget about Jesus, and I always say that you cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. So she was a disciple. She was not uh, satisfied with just experiencing the deliverance. She thought to herself, let me follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Now, early texts of the Christian era show how she held a high status amongst the apostles. And again, we're going to go a bit into this because uh, what would happen in ancient times is women were perceived in a particular way. Uh, a way that is not according to the Bible and not according to the culture Jesus was actually trying to create. But if you study early Christian texts, you actually see that she was considered with a high status amongst the apostles. Very, very important. Essentially, Mary's gratitude and her love translated into devotion to Christ and his mission. So the question her life inspires us to ask ourselves is, how far am I willing to go in serving Christ after having first-hand experience of his power to liberate me? How far am I willing to go in serving Christ after having first-hand experience of his power to liberate me? What are you doing with that calling? What are you doing with that calling? Very important question.
Now, let me talk a little bit about just redefining Mary Magdalene. It's important for me to do so. I mentioned to you earlier on that there are quite a number of Marys that we see in the Gospels. And very often people will just see the name Mary and there'll be something about the Mary, but it's actually talking about Lazarus's sister, Martha's sister. All right. And then they assume, oh, it's talking about Mary Magdalene. All right. And what also adds to all of this is that there are three unnamed women in the gospel who are described as women of bad reputation or uh, women who are sexual sinners. There's the woman who was about to be stoned, okay, the adulterous woman. There's uh, the woman who was anointing Jesus, you know, with the perfume, the expensive perfume and so on. And to a she was a woman of bad reputation. And people just assume, oh, that's talking about um, Mary Magdalene. And part of the confusion sometimes kicks in because in Luke, when Luke first talks about Mary Magdalene, he would have, he has just spoken about this woman who was a sinner. All right. And then he talks up, then he introduces us to Mary Magdalene, but it's not talking about the same person. And it's important to actually, for, for us to actually understand that. Then of course, there's the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay. And we don't know her name, right? But there's that woman also. So sometimes you hear of certain women who are being mentioned and then we give a name to them or we assume, ah, they didn't want to say the name. It must be this person. And it's not. And then what, what is added to this confusion is the Jewish Talmud. Now let's talk about the Jewish Talmud. That's the oral law, all right, that was passed on, handed down to the Jewish people. Like in the first few centuries, it's like couple of thousands of pages to actually read and a lot of Jewish people actually read it. It talks about, you know, just the general oral law, how to live, etc. All right. Obviously some great treasures there, but the Jewish Talmud actually affirms that Magdala, the place she came from, was notorious for harlotry and doesn't exist today because of that. All right. And because Mary was from there, Right. And the first reference, as I mentioned, from Luke is after the account of the sinful woman. People have built the idea around her of being a sexual sinner. Yet there's actually no evidence of this. All right. And it's not to say that, uh, oh, we look down on sexual sinners. It's just that the Bible doesn't say so. And it's actually affected her brand because a lot of people just box her into this category of, you know what? She's a repentant prostitute. That's what she is. Okay, that's that's the way she's been branded. And yet scripture doesn't show any evidence of this. Okay, someone else put it this way, stating that from the New Testament to the Da Vinci Code. Remember that uh, novel and movie? Her image has been repeatedly conscripted, contorted and contradicted. Mary has been represented in many different ways throughout history, especially during uh, the Baroque and Renaissance periods, right? Remember that in about in the sort of 1600s, if you look at some of the pictures that were drawn about her, voluptuous, uh, almost sensual type of paintings that were done, all right, um, which don't really represent, don't represent her at all. All right. Uh, in a novel and a film, she has been portrayed as the secret wife of Jesus. Yeah, that's how bad it becomes, almost blasphemous. Uh, she's elusively identified in scripture. And as a result of this, many people, many of us historically have actually opened ourselves up to myths about her. And I could list myth after myth after myth, you know, about her death, about where she ended up. Uh, it's really quite, quite bad. It's important that when we want to understand scripture, we study the word of God. 
You see, there are many other gospels which have got some truth in them, but they weren't canonized in, in, into scripture as the infallible word of God because they had certain things that were not lining up with what factually happened and things that were uh, heretical. There's nothing wrong with reading some of them for historical purposes, but we also need to be just careful because some of them uh, have mixed into them certain myths. And remember, Paul warns, um, warns us in his, in his epistles, and he says, be careful of some of these Jewish myths that people came up with, some of these traditions that people came up with. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, it's also to, important for me to explain the role of Pope Gregory, Pope, Pope Gregory, um, Pope Gregory I, okay, he was Bishop of Rome, and he's the guy, I mean, the good things that he did do, right? He's the guy who basically instigated the first major mission, right, Christian mission into the, Anglican, into the um, Anglo-Saxon world, right? He's the guy who did that. But, so Pope Gregory the Great brought Mary firmly back into the picture, not the way she was, but as the church wanted her to be. Remember, there was a lot of suppression of women and all sorts of other things that was going on during those times, right? And so um, with breathtaking oversimplification, Gregory conflated Mary Magdalene of the seven demons with the unnamed sinner, so-called sinner, who washed Jesus' feet with her hair in Luke, okay? But a close reading of Luke 7 and 8 shows that they're not the same woman, Okay. And he also conflates into that uh, Mary of Bethany, who anoints Jesus with nod in the Gospel of John, right? And uh, so it's interesting when you just unpack that a bit. In John uh, Tregilio's book, Saints for Dummies, he states, because of the legends saying that Mary Magdalene had been a prostitute, she became the patroness of wayward women and in the 18th century, moral reformers established what they called Magdalene asylums to help save women from prostitution. Okay, yet there was no link with Mary Magdalene, but that was the belief about her. You know, the ancient Roman world was rife with flesh-hating spiritualities. So you had the Stoics, you had the uh, what was called the Manichaeism, you had uh, Neoplatonism. Um, which influenced Christian thinking and also resulted in the disempowerment of women. And in all of this, we must see a pattern in how Jesus redeemed broken women. There was a way in which Jesus related to women who had come from a background of brokenness. If you uh, think of the Samaritan woman at the well, who, who Jesus told to go and preach to her people after she wanted to follow him, she did preach to them and was probably instrumental in birthing the church there in Samaria, where Philip the evangelist ended up going and uh, reaching out to people and then calling Peter and John, and we had Simon the sorcerer, which I spoke about, who I spoke about last week. Okay, that was all Samaria. She probably did the legwork for that. But let me ask you a question. How do you view that woman? Do you see her as, a, as this mighty evangelist? Would you even call her that? Or do you just see her as a sinful unstable woman who had a conversation with Jesus. Again, an important question, you see. So there's this hypersexualization of women in the gospel where people would look at women and then they would come up with all sorts of inferences instead of actually acknowledging that, wait a minute, this was a powerful woman of God, powerful preacher, powerful evangelist, and we need to acknowledge them in the, in the way that they really are. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> when the gospel moved to Europe, a lot of the accounts of these great women were actually suppressed by a culture, not Jesus, not the gospel, by a culture in the first few centuries that suppressed women. And I believe that Mary Magdalene set the tone for some of the great women that we actually see in the book of Acts. I'm talking about uh, people like Phoebe. I'm talking about people like Junior. You know, Junior is described as an apostle. Yes, an apostle, a female apostle, right? And uh, Priscilla. Remember Priscilla and Aquila and her husband Aquila. Look at Romans 16 verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junior. Junior spelt J-U-N-I-A, right? And, and, and that's important because it's a female name. And look what, she says, what, she, what, what it says. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding amongst the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. You know, it's very interesting. And I mean, we can go on a bit of a rabbit trail here, but it's interesting because you have people like Christosome and some of you might have read his writings and so on. And he was just blown away by the saying, Junior must have been an amazing person, not just part of the apostles, right? But also great amongst them, outstanding amongst them, right? A few centuries later, you have other guys saying, okay, let's examine this now. For, her, for this person to have been described this way, mm, it must have been a man, not a woman. That's what was happening in terms of oppression and suppression of women. And that's why you'll find that in later translations, it's spelled with an S at the end, okay? Junius, which makes it a male name, okay? And that's how, the pre how strong the prejudice has been. In Eastern Orthodox, Orthodox tra tradition, uh, Mary Magdalene travels to Rome, where she ends up preaching to Tiberius, then settles in Ephesus in northwest uh, Turkey, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the Apostle John, okay? That's Eastern Orthodox tradition, okay? We don't really know because, you know, other accounts place her in southern France or even in India with the Apostle Thomas. And I think sometimes people like the idea of, oh, okay, Mary ended up fairly close to us. You know what I mean, All right? So we don't really know. According to Chilton, um, he's done a lot of research, she returns to Magdala, where she continues preaching, healing, and anointing. Remember when Jesus sent out the 70 and the 72, it included the women. And these people came back saying, wow, we've seen these demons being cast out of people. Even demons are obeying us. It wasn't just a group of men, all right? And she would have been amongst those people. And I'm sure she would have been strong in terms of her deliverance ministry because she had experienced it for herself. She knew it was real that Jesus cast out demons. Well, so can I. Right. She would have had that mindset in A.D. 67. Uh, she becomes one of thousands of victims massacred by the Romans in reprisal for an armed rebellion. This is uh, Covington, another guy, and he talks about it that way. Again, you know what? Uh, been a, there's been a lot of research around these things, and some of the research contradicts what other people say. But those are some of the permutations when you begin to study her life. Now, what I want to focus on is some lessons that we learn from the life of Mary Magdalene. I think this is what's important, okay? The first thing is that she continued to follow Jesus after her deliverance. Now, this might seem to be an obvious statement, but sadly, it's actually worth mentioning because often it doesn't happen. You know, you have your breakthrough and then you stop coming to church. You have your breakthrough and then you stop praying because, oh, I got what I wanted because we live in a consumerist culture. 
You know, Jesus would heal people. And what would he say? He would say to them, now follow me. Not all of them did. We cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. Once delivered, it's so important to fall in love with the words of Jesus. And that's what she did. To fall in love with the words of Jesus as your source of sanctification. That's what Jesus said that. He says, you'll be cleansed by my word in you. Right? This is exactly what Mary did. You know, and in those days, remember, and I said this earlier on, it was unheard of for a woman to be a disciple, right, under a particular rabbi. Yet she was. And it shows us something about Jesus and what he wanted to do in terms of affirming women, right? And it shows us something about Mary, that she was willing to do so. In Matthew chapter 27, 55 to 56, many women were there watching from a distance, Okay, this is during the time of the passion. This is the time uh, where Jesus was, um, was going to the cross and, and so on, right? They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. So they were practically serving Jesus, okay? Um, financially and also physically taking care of his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. I find it so interesting, you know, because often when you think of the mother of Zebedee's sons, okay, the mother of James and John, what's the famous passage we go to when she's saying, hey, can one of my sons be at your right hand and the other one left, you know, and Jesus said, it's not for me to say, all right? And that's where we sort of box her. But remember that she was one of these women who was also following Jesus. Isn't it interesting? I mean, watch the video. You've got James and John, sons of thunder, and you've got the mom hanging out there also following Jesus. And this mom was involved in taking care of Jesus's needs, his practical needs. Okay. And she continued right through to the cross. I think that's phenomenal. And these women need to be celebrated. In Matthew 27, verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. All right. The point I'm making is she continued with Jesus right to the end. And I think that's so important. Are you willing to continue with Jesus? How far are you willing to go? Even if there's persecution, even if you're going to risk your life, even if there are haters around you saying, what are you doing? Are you really delivered? Even if people are saying, come on, you've left your home. What's all this about? Right? The second thing about Mary Magdalene that I want to mention is that she was free from condemnation. You see, a lot of people understand that God loves them, that God forgives them, but they still live life with a strong sense of guilt. They're not free from a guilty conscience. And the interesting thing about Mary Magdalene, we don't know about her past. We just know she had been demonized. She probably had been excluded from all sorts of things because of those particular demons. People were afraid of her probably however those demons manifested, right? So you were not popular in scripture, right? In the Bible days, you were not popular or well-liked if you had demons. It's important to understand that, right? There was a strong stigma around this. People might have been afraid of her based on how these demons would have manifested, right? The demons could have, could have affected her severely mentally, right? Remember how the disciples were not shy about chasing children away from Jesus, and I can tell you right now, with unrenewed minds, they would not have been shy about saying certain things that might have excluded some of the women who are around there, especially the ones who had issues from beforehand. All right. We don't know how she had been treated. OK, 
So one wonders, what was their attitude like towards her? We know that Jesus was very gracious toward her, but it might not have been the same with the disciples. It might have been a learning process for them. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they were nice to her because she helped from her own substance. You know, she helped them out and served them. I don't know. All right. But the point is she was no longer carrying any sense of exclusion or condemnation. She had been completely delivered by Jesus. You see, Jesus treated her with dignity and she internalized that and continued to walk with him. Many people reject themselves before they can be rejected. Have you noticed that? Oh, the church doesn't like me. Oh, they don't treat me nicely. The pastor doesn't visit me like he visits other people. And you reject yourself before you can be rejected. But it's amazing how she continued with Jesus. She focused on the main thing. She kept the main thing, the main thing. Okay. Uh, People had obviously witnessed her deliverance. Just think about that. The people who had started following Jesus before her. Right? They had witnessed her deliverance. They had seen the before and now they were experiencing the after. And maybe they still doubted the after. And despite all of this that she had been through, Jesus still elevated her and treated her as an equal amongst the rest. As an equal amongst the rest of uh, the men and women. And she internalized this. Have you internalized how Jesus sees you? You know? In Mark chapter 16, I'm going to read from verses 1 through to 9. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Okay, so this this is when Jesus had died on the cross. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now watch this. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Isn't that so powerful? You know, it's not great having that stigma, you know, that, but I believe that uh, in the gospels it's mentioned because they were also blown away by this. This is the woman who had those seven demons. And now this is the same woman that Jesus appears to first, completely free from condemnation. And isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Jesus? That this person who had been ostracized is now the one he chooses to reveal himself to. And I believe, like others do, that um, Jesus actually knew the power of her ministry, right? It wasn't just some random thing that I'll appear first to this person. He wanted to use that. He knew that she would be a preacher of the gospel. She wasn't going to be quiet about it. He wired her so that she can carry this message. Imagine, she was the first person to do so, 
I just think it's awesome how Jesus operates. So she was freed from condemnation and so are you. I don't know how many demons you've had in your life. I don't know what you were bound by in the past, but Jesus is elevating you right now. This is so important to understand. You can be that person who ends up preaching the gospel, right? Some people you see, they're like, yes, I know that Jesus accepts me and I'm just grateful that I'm now going to heaven. But Paul, no, 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 me getting up and preaching? No, 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 that's for, that's for those other people. Be very careful of that. Jesus elevated Mary Magdalene and he wants to elevate you too. The third thing I want to talk about with regards to Mary Magdalene is that she remained with Jesus and did not deny him, right? She was one of the women that stood right by him to the end, even in the face of danger, right? And I know some people have got this thing of like, Oh, so it means that the women were really the brave ones and the men were the ones that were fearful. Okay, we mustn't get too carried away because if you do the research, you'll see that it was more likely that the men would have been um, either killed or thrown into prison, more so than the women. Okay, they weren't about to just go and grab a hold of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yes, you followed Jesus, let's throw you into prison. Okay, uh, that kind of thing happened a bit later on when, uh, when the persecution was happening, Nero, etc. So they did face persecution, but um, those, those men who were in hiding, to be honest with you, they could have also been lumped into the same category as Jesus. Having said that, the women were brave. The women were brave to be out there by themselves at night doing what they were doing and with no idea of what could happen to them. So let's not take away from that. But we don't have to make comparisons, okay? So um, she stood by him. She appeared to have this quiet devotion to Jesus, okay, that was very practical, as opposed to some who were very vocal, not mentioning any names, okay, and yet sometimes were inconsistent in terms of how they followed Jesus. Yes, no, me, I won't deny you, Jesus. Okay? But then ended up denying Jesus. Whereas there was this quiet devotion, quiet commitment that Mary seemed to have. In John 19, 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Okay? She was also Mary. We know that. Right? His mother's sister. Okay? That would have been Salome. All right, Jesus' aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, how many Marys are there? Three out of the four women who were standing there together. Okay, can you see where the confusion sometimes kicks in? In Mark 15, verse 39 to 41, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. These women, so powerful. I want to challenge the women, where are you today? Have you been distracted by other things? Or are you still following Jesus? Are you still following Jesus right to the end? We've been through COVID. We've been through rioting in this nation. You've been through lack. You're experiencing the stress of all sorts of change. But are you still following Jesus? Are you still pursuing him like these women were? These are not short distances. They traveled with Jesus from Galilee and they were now uh, present with him. And it says there were many women. 
I believe that God is raising up a generation of women who will continue being focused on Jesus despite the challenges of life that they face. The fourth thing I want to share with you with regards to uh, Mary Magdalene is that she recognized Jesus' voice. Jesus knew her by name and she knew his voice. Elsewhere in scripture, we are told that uh, my sheep know my voice. And she's such a good example of this. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do you recognize Jesus' voice? In John 20, verse 16, when Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And that's when she realized, this is not just a gardener. This is Jesus. And she responded, Rabboni. Okay, Rabbi. So Jesus also knows you by name. Do you recognize his voice when he calls you? Think about it. Initially, Samuel didn't recognize God's voice. We spoke about Samuel a few weeks ago, right? He needed Eli to say, hey, you know what? That could be God speaking to you. Do you recognize the voice of Jesus when he speaks to you? Mary did. She recognized his voice. Do you recognize his voice? His voice is something that you learn through intimacy. His voice is something that you learn through close relationship with him. Knowing his voice activates obedience despite your emotional state. That's what I get out of this. Because when she recognized his voice, remember how fearful she had been, right? Think of the environment. But when she recognizes his voice, she obeys his instruction. Do you know the voice of the Lord? One of the reasons we often don't obey is we're not too sure. Lord, is this you or is this just my emotion? Right? In John 20, I'm going to read from 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Amazing, just the anguish. And the way John writes this, some of the scholars are just blown away, just in terms of his Greek and um, just the, I don't want to call it the poetic nature of it, but the pathos, the, the emotion that comes through as she's speaking. I think it's just uh, amazing. All right. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She just wanted to get Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And that was her primary relationship with him, right? Not some of the dodgy stuff people have now tried to make up, right? Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, 
to my God and your God. That's inclusive language that Jesus was using. He was basically saying, we'll be together one day, right? Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. You see, she had heard the voice of the Lord Jesus and it activated obedience. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he said, that he had said these things to her. Now, when you read further, you see that they didn't really believe her, right? And then Peter and John uh, went, you know, and wanted to see for themselves. Now, think about it. I don't know how she'd been tormented by those demons. What if she had been schizophrenic, for example? What if it was demonically ignited um, mental illness, right? If you just think about it, they might have been thinking, this woman who used to see visions and see things, maybe she's seeing things, okay? That was the level of the unbelief at the time. But I just want you to know this morning that she understood the voice of the Lord. She knew the voice of Jesus and it activated obedience. And I think that's so powerful. The fifth thing I want to share with you concerning Mary Magdalene is that she was the first to share the gospel. You know, for those that try to suppress the role of women with regards to the gospel, they need to consider the fact that Jesus chose to first reveal his resurrected self to a woman. And then he commissioned her to share the news with the others. Now, if you look at the principle of first mention there, the first person was actually a woman. How dare we say, oh, no, 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 sit back. It's just the guy's job to do this. How dare we say that, right? Um, <clears throat> now, if you, I don't necessarily encourage you to read it, but um, there's some ancient texts that have been found, okay? And it's the Gospel of Mary, okay? It's called the Gospel of Mary, not uh, written by her, probably written by people who recognized her authority, okay? So it wasn't canonized into scripture for various reasons that I'm not going to go into, right? But the Gospel of Mary actually illustrates how the disciples asked her to unpack that experience that she had had with the resurrected Christ, okay? And there were dynamics around it all and so on. Um, yeah, which is just quite interesting. I'm going to read Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through to 12. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words. Isn't it powerful when you remember the words of Jesus, when the spirit of God brings them to remembrance, everything then changes. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, I like just how she's honored here, you know, and actually mentioned by name mentioned by name. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. I like how it's mentioned there, all right? Uh, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now that tells you something about the mindset of these guys, all right? Because what has been described is exactly what Jesus said would happen. But they still didn't believe and they thought this is nonsense. And that's why we must move away from this mindset of like, oh, women, they're emotional. You know, 
it's, it's a spirit of chauvinism that's, uh, that does not reflect the heart of Jesus. Okay? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. I like his action orientation. Okay? Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. I'll tell you what had happened. Jesus had risen from the dead, which is what he said would actually happen. I pray that you're inspired by the life of Mary Magdalene, whether you're a man or a woman, and that there's that devotion that's ignited within you to say, I will follow Jesus, I will serve Jesus right to the end, stemming from a heart of gratitude. He's delivered me, he's freed me, I'm so grateful. Let me now go and do this for other people. I believe that she didn't just share the gospel with these guys, but I believe that she went on further throughout her life and did so with many other people. It would not have been limited to the apostles. Think about it when you've got the risen Christ himself saying, go, go, go now and tell them the good news. Tell them what's happened. I believe that she would have applied that across the board. Imagine the things that counts she would have been giving to many people saying, guys, this is what happened. I saw Jesus and Jesus said, I must tell you this firsthand. I think that's so honorable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for the example that Mary Magdalene was. And we pray, Father, that many would be inspired by her life and how she lived it and how she was devoted to you. Lord, I pray for those out there who have a vision to serve you practically, who have a vision to serve you with their substance, who have a vision to preach the gospel like she did, that they would rise up regardless of background, regardless of how much deliverance they've had to go through, but that they would know that you've counted them as worthy. And so indeed they are. May they internalize how you see them. And Lord, may we all recognize your voice when you call us. May that activate obedience in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.